0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to be the number IMT of sports. As always, I'm joined by Josephine Chang, a former D1 golfer out of the University of Kentucky. And we are here to provide you this week's DFS breakdown for the BMW championship. But before we get to the action this week, we need to discuss something that I've been waiting five years to say. Tony Finau finally won again. From a personal standpoint, we both discussed them on the show last week as one of our favorite plays. And I was also able to hit him at 60 to one in the outright market at plus 130 uh, for a top 30 also on that. So Josephine, what are your thoughts on this event?
1: Um, so I put together one that didn't do too well, um, but I kind of went for a different strategy, just kind of play with it since I'm still new to it. Didn't work out. So we're going to switch that up again. But um, overall, I mean, Tony Final winning. I mean, I've always loved him. Loved to watch him play. And I mean, obviously everyone remembers at the Masters when he like tweaked his ankle and then finishes what top 10, I think. And mm-hmm. I think ever since then, everyone just loves him. Uh it's it'd be super weird if anyone didn't love him. <laughs> um, but overall, like I didn't get to really watch it that much. I had a really busy weekend, but I was definitely following the scores. Um, but I mean, I think it was a it was a great tournament just to see. Um some players and see how their the form is coming into uh, this weekend and later on into like the championship and everything.
0: Yeah. Fino is a really likable guy. And I think we saw that throughout the industry. Like not everybody had an outright ticket on him. Not everybody played him on DraftKings, but I think everybody was happy for him. And uh, I'm disappointed that you didn't play him on DraftKings because I do know both of us spoke so highly of him. And really my thought process with it was, just the price got reduced, whether that be from the outright market or for DraftKings. I thought the upside was better than the perception was around him. We had seen recently guys like Abraham, Answer, Sam Burns, um, you know, slew of other players win tournaments that had been perceived as being people that didn't necessarily have win equity. And I just thought Finau being in the eight thousand dollars range, the low eight thousand dollars range at that, and then sixty to one in the outright market was a really good price for him. So, you know. At the end of the day, it's going. You're going to need some luck to win these tournaments, uh, whether that be from betting or for just the actual player themselves. Like when I look at myself on this, I hit an outright on Tony Finau last week when he was against Max Homa uh, at the Genesis. I had Homa in that event, and I was lucky to get that. And Finau was kind of the unlucky loser there, where Homa got stuck behind a tree and you know miraculously got it up and down from that spot with it, but you kind of need things like that if you're going to find success on tour or in the betting market. So I think Finau just kind of been a hard luck, um, you know, participant in a lot of these spots to where things haven't broken his way. And, I think that now that he has the wind under his belt, he's going to be able to free himself up and hopefully that results in more wins for him, but, uh, he's going to get another opportunity to do that this week at the BMW championship. So it's caves Valley golf club, 7,542 yards par 72 bent grass screens, top 70 qualifiers of the FedEx cup playoffs got into the event and there will be no cut. Now it is worth noting that Patrick Reed is not here. He's been dealing with some health problems. Uh, We wish him the best and a quick recovery on his end with that. But this will be the first time the PGA tour is hosting an event at the property and we are lacking past data, but from a personal perspective of playing uh, at Tom Fazio designs, have you noticed any similar uh, quirks or traits that go into those properties that you can use for an event like this?
1: Yeah. So obviously I this is the first time that a PJ tournament is being played here. And so I kind of looked through, it was really nice. They had um, flyovers of all the holes that I got to look at. And so I went through it and and just um, looking at it, it does remind me. So I have played actually quite a few Tom Fazio courses. Um, I didn't realize I kind of Googled it and looked at this complete list. And I was like, oh, I've played this course and this course. Um, Some notable ones I've played at PJ National, um, that's in Florida. And then I played at Prim Valley, which is in Las Vegas. Um, and then I've also played at Reynolds Lake Oconee and the most recent one is Reynolds Lake because we played that in college I believe it was a tournament hosted by Mercer and I got similar vibes from that course when I was looking at the flyover just simply because it looked like relatively narrow fairways in the sense that you miss it one side it's a bunker another side it's water um so just looking at a lot of accuracy off the tee, knowing and being committed to your landing spots and where you want to hit it. Not, ne- It won't necessarily always be a driver off the tee, although this course is playing uh, decently long. Um, and so I also noticed very tricky par threes in terms of looking at it from the tee, like it kind of plays with your eyes a little bit, as well as a similar trait of very narrow greens in the sense that you really have to know Your approach numbers in order to avoid a lot of the penalties around the greens like bunkers as well. Um, So I kind of got a good grasp of kind of what's going on and I definitely use that to my advantage when I was looking at um, stats and players for this week.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good breakdown that you just mentioned there. And not all Tom Fazio designs are the same, but I did notice places like Quell Hollow and Shadow Creek possess similar traits, which in turn yielded models that ventured down the same path. So as you mentioned, deep bunkering is used for both fairways and greens. And missing to the correct quadrant will be important because of the slope and speed of this quick bent grass surface. Uh, at those two properties that I had just mentioned when I went through and looked at them, I weighted a combination of tee to green, long iron proximity, three putt avoidance, and a little distance. Uh, and I'm going to do the same at Caves Valley this week. So I started with tee to green for 20%. I did re-weight it a little bit flatter. Um, as you mentioned, these are small greens. So I do want around the green play with it. Uh, but it's, you know, approach is the most important for me on that off the tee was the second most important. And then around the green third to get that reweighted tee to green stat that I had, I put 17 and percent on bunker play and three putt avoidance. That's an even split of GIR from fairway bunkers, sand safe percentage from greenside sand traps and three putt avoidance for these fast greens. I don't think this course will be overly complicated, but those look like the potential pitfalls to me. I have 15% on ball striking. That's a 70-30 split of distance over accuracy to get total driving and a 70-30 split of GIR percentage over total driving to get ball striking. Now, the one thing I will say to that is you mentioned that they are on the more narrow side of the fairways and they've they, they've made it more narrow recently on it. But the reason why I went distance over accuracy is because if you're a long hitter, I still think it's going to be the longest, the longest and the straightest hitter this week that is going to win the event. Now, not all long hitters are straight, but they're more inclined to be able to like at least that length is a skill set that will be able to carry over with it. And if they get hot and you get the length with it, I think that's the golfer who's going to win. Where on the contrary there if you're a short hitter and you're accurate off the tee and you don't have the length, you I mean, unless you go on the Bryson DeChambeau plan and you bulk up in like you know, a weekend here. I don't think you're going to necessarily be able to get that length. So I'm going to gear it more towards distance for that reason. I just think that the longest and the straightest player is going to be the one that wins. I have 15% on weighted proximity over 175 yards. As we've been saying, we don't we unfortunately don't have any exact distributions of second shots, but just where the length is of the course, that seems to be the range that we're going to be fitting in is over 175 yards, really over 200 yards if we're getting a little bit more technical with it. I did seven and a half percent on weighted par three. Uh, That's 50 percent par three average, 25 percent proximity over 200 yards, and 25 percent bogey avoidance. Three of the four stretch over 220 yards. The other is right at 200 yards. So as you mentioned. These are difficult par threes. I think you're going to have to try to avoid bogey on them. And I think anytime that you get that distance, uh, add in the proximity to it. I have 12.5% on weighted par four. The breakdown for that is 50% par four average, 35% par fours from 450 to 500 yards, and 15% from 350 to 400. So six of the par fours stretch between 450 to 500 And three of them stretch between 350 to 400. So there are some drivable par fours. That's the other thing with Fazio designs is he seems to have a bunch of risk reward holes that come into play uh, with it. So I like the weighted par four there. And then I finished it up with 12 and a half percent on par five birdie or better percentage. All four are long, but appear reachable for guys with distance. So I don't know if there's anything that you would like to add to that, but uh, that's essentially where my model is this week.
1: No, I think I'm still definitely getting used to attributing percentages to specific stats. So I still like put some like arbitrary numbers in and then kind of go through and look through the stats um, as I go through the leaderboard, Um, but definitely I did emphasize more distance over accuracy as well, just simply because um, exactly what you said at the end of the day, uh, this is a longer course. The holes are playing a lot longer and so that's going to give longer hitters an advantage. Other than that, I mean, I did weigh par threes as well, simply because these seem very difficult um, or are on the more difficult side. And definitely, um, as you said, the risk reward is, is a attribute to Tom Basio courses. So I actually had that written down, like this is a very big risk reward. So like the long hitters, they're going to be able to take more risks, but we'll have to see if that pays off.
0: Yeah. And if you're making a model, I I think it's, um, like, especially if you're using my model, and you can get it every single week on Twitter at TOF Sports. I, I try to release it every single Monday with it. A lot of what I'm saying is very in depth. That's more calculated stuff that I'm doing behind the scenes with it. I also have the more simplistic view of just, you know, off the tee or just distance or just accuracy that goes into the mix with it. Uh, So there's a bunch of different ways to play it. I'm always under the mindset that I don't love going much below seven and a half percent on anything that I weigh just because I want to have some merit to the stat when I do put um, some weight onto it. And I typically don't go more than 25% on most things. There are weeks where, you know, there's going to be outliers into the mix with it, but I try to build a flat model and, you know, that's also incorporating course history, which we have none of this week and current form. So I like the current form stat to try to find people that are playing well, but let's move forward into the tournament this week. So we have a handful of guys above $10,000 and we are led off by John Rahm at 11,700, 700. Xander Shoffley at 11,100, Jordan Spieth at 10,800, Justin Thomas at 10,600, Dustin Johnson at 10,400, Brooks Kepka at 10,200, and Colin Morikawa at 10,000. You know, obviously, this is the elite of the elite. And even when we get down to the $9,000 range, there's more elite players in that range. A bunch of players get pushed down just with the way the pricing is. And with all the studs being here this week. But uh, when you look at this $10,000 range, what stuck out to you?
1: So obviously, um, when I first looked at it, um, John Rahm being so expensive, but it makes sense. I mean, he's playing well, finished third at the Northern Trust. Um, obviously, those two bogeys coming down the stretch kept out of that playoff. Um, but he's a strong player off the tee. He plays par three as well. And I think his game is trending in good uh, direction. It's just can you afford him and put together a good lineup with the price that he's at? Um, so I think that's something you have to weigh when you're putting it together. Outside of him, I really liked Justin Thomas. Um, some because, I mean, he finished fourth at the Northern Trust, made some late birdies down the stretch, looking really good overall, his uh, form. And I just think that he's a solid par three player and his approach game has been one of the best this season. And so I'm really excited to see if he can finally start to put it together um, here this week.
0: Yeah. So let's, I'll run down all of these one by one, but let's start with Rom at the top here. And yes, $11,700 is a lot. (laughs) I mean, there's no other way to go around that. And, you know, 21% ownership roughly is a lot. But I'm not so sure you can price him high enough right now. And I'm also not so sure that the ownership can be, you know, in a stratosphere that I don't want to play him. So, you know, I've been saying it for a year now that Rom is the best player in the world. And we're finally starting to see it come together with high-end finish after high-end finish. Statistically, Rom is in another planet. It's hard to find a reason to fade him that doesn't involve those two things I just mentioned. So I have no problems playing him in any contest. Um, I mean, I guess the one thing with cash that I would say, if you're playing him in cash builds, it does limit what you can do beneath him. Um, but not something I think that the pricing is soft enough that you can fit him in anywhere and be fine with it. Um, I'm going to skip Xander for a second because uh, there's an interesting take I want to talk about with him. Uh, Jordan Spief at 10,800. Unfortunately, like bad speed returned at the Northern trust. That was the version of him of horrible off the tee lost 5.7 strokes there. Uh, my biggest concern, and it's not that he can't turn it around. We have a course that's really long. We have a course where long iron play is going to come into effect here. Um, he's the lowest owned in this range. If you can formulate a different viewpoint than the one I have, I'm just afraid that the off the tee stuff catches up to him again. Um, I'm going to be off of him for that reason. Thomas at 10,600. I think I agree with you. I think he makes sense in all contests. No cut tournaments tend to reward his birdie making skills. Xander's going to be the second guy we'll touch on with that. But you know, the fact that we are guaranteed to get four rounds out of him and the birdies that he can make, I think that puts him in play. Dustin at 10,400 continues to be derailed on par fives. He's 44th in this field on par five birdie or better percentage over the last year. If that turns around, sure, he has a chance, but I'd rather have him at a course that is shorter at this point, which kind of sounds crazy to say because that's not what you would expect from one of the biggest hitters on tour. Uh, Kepka at 10,200. You know, a little off with the irons the last few weeks. I technically have him as a slight negative value across the board, but I'm not going to necessarily talk anybody out of him. Just not not necessarily the first name I'm going to click. And then the real wild card in this mix is Morikawa at 10,000. So Morikawa said after this tournament that he's been dealing with some back problems after the Olympics. And I think it's just going to come down to the price makes sense. The ownership makes sense. I'm going to try to figure out where he's at as this week goes on. And obviously we're recording this on a Tuesday. We've gotten a later start to this week. Uh, Time is running out. So, you know, on Wednesday, we're going to have to make a decision or a Thursday morning at at the latest on it. But as of right now, I am okay with the mentality of playing Morikawa because I do think that his iron <laughs> skill set is so much better than anybody else in the world Where he's on, when he's on. I just think that we need to figure out where the back's at. So that's something we're going to have to look at in media and all that that goes on. But Xander at 11100 So I think this price tag is incorporating the no-cut narrative that follows Xander around. But I don't necessarily hate that if that means we get a version of him that is around 10% owned. The course seems ideally suited for his total driving and birdie eight making acumen. And I tend to think that this is one of the better leverage plays we can find in this zone here. So um I am going to play Xander. I think, yes, on the surface, the price is a little bit much here, but I think this is one of the better courses that you can find for him. Like anytime you have total driving, I've always said Rom and Xander are the two guys that you kind of want to pinpoint. And if he was $10,000, he'd probably be 25% owned. So... Uh, From a no-cut narrative with him being over 11000 if if I can get him at under 10% or around 10%, I kind of really like going down that route. So I'll probably, if I'm playing cash, I think Thomas and Rom are fine. GPPs, Xander, Thomas, Rom, and I'm going to monitor Morikawa. But that's more of where I'm at this week with it. But let's drop down into the $9,000 range. And we are led off by the man himself, Tony now at $9,800. Um we have Louis in at 9600, Cameron Smith at 9500, Rory McIlroy at 9400, Bryson DeChambeau at 9300, Patrick Cantley at 9200, Victor Hovland at 9100 and Berger rounds out the range at $9000. So in this section here, um any fades that you did not like and then after you answer that question, um any players that you do like in this range. Oh, okay. I actually – so
1: <laughs> I had trouble distinguishing, actually, in this range because I had just a lot of good things to say. I So I struggled a little bit with Louis Usain because if I remember correctly, he didn't play last week due to some injury. I can't remember what it was. And so for yeah. him to come back – okay. For him to come back this week, I mean, having rested, not really knowing where that injury is at on a long course, I'm a little scared, a little iffy. I mean, his game was – trending in an okay-ish place. I just am not too sure what he's going to be like coming back from um, something like a back injury. Like um, So him at 9,600, I was a little iffy. Um, and then I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> I said having Bryson at 9,300, obviously he's the longest hitter. Uh, he can really take advantage of this course um, just with how far he hits it. The downside is that I feel like people are maybe thinking the same thing. He's only 9,300. He's a long hitter. He can maybe take advantage of this course. His ownership is already really high. (laughs) Um, So I really didn't like Louis and Bryson for those reasons, um, who I did like. So going into this tournament just with this field, obviously these uh, players, they're playing really good golf to get here. And so I focused a lot on just how they looked coming in, where their form is at currently. So obviously Tony Finau just winning that confidence boost and just the player that he is. um, I like him. I looked at Rory. um, I had him in my lineup last week. He let me down a little bit, but he did technically still put together four decent rounds. Um, I think he can take advantage of his distance this week and set himself up for more aggressive approach shots. So I liked him here. Um, and then also Patrick Cantley and Victor Hovland. So with Cantley, um, he has fantastic green regulation percentages. He's not the longest hitter, but he did finish, I believe 11th last week. And so, um, it just goes to show that he can definitely take advantage of birdie chances. And then with Hovland, my model really likes him. He's in the top 10 and I just... I like where his game is at. I just really didn't like how he let his emotions get the best of him um, last week. And so, I mean, he put together great rounds until um, the fourth round, but I don't know, maybe he, he's going to come in and try to redeem himself, but I, I don't know if you have anything to say to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I do. And I think we're more or less on the, the, Same page here with a lot of the things that you mentioned. And and the one thing I want to point out is I am fine starting in the $9,000 range. I I do think Rom makes a lot of sense up top. I think Xander makes sense from a contrarian standpoint. I think Morikawa, if the back's fine and Thomas, I think all those are fine places, but I think you can also start in the $9,000 range because we've had so many guys push down. So I'll answer this question in the same way that you did with starting with the fades here. So my biggest fade of the week is Louie at 9,600. Uh, it just feels like who stays in as a withdraw candidate because of the back um, 15% ownership. Isn't exactly where I want to be for someone that realistically could leave the event before Sunday. And we have seen him do this so many times in the past. Like, you know, if his bed doesn't show up, if his back is wrong, if something is not going right, he pulls out of these tournaments. And that's a death sentence for this week. If in a no cut tournament, you get, you know, a round or two out of him and he's out of there all of a sudden. So I think Louie is a, I don't want to say a bad play because he can turn it around and his game was trending in the right direction beforehand, but I just think there's too much risk involved in him. Like if I'm going to play him, even though he doesn't necessarily win tournaments, I'd rather just bet him as an outright, because at least that way, if he pulls out, you lose a ticket, you don't lose all your DraftKings lineups with it. So that's my thought on Louie and I'm not going to have an outright ticket on him. So for me, he's kind of just a stay away at this point. Then the other two that I think do make better outright wagers than they do DraftKings plays would be Rory at 9,400 and Bryson at 9,300. And I'm going to clump them together for the sake of this, but both will be around 20% owned. Deshambo has lost 2.2 shots per event with his short game in his last six trackable events. Rory, on the other hand, has upside of his own, but 20 percent's a lot in my mind for someone pricing the top 10 on the board. I'm not saying that he can't get a top 10 finish, but really a victory is the only thing that would derail us this week and like really make the fade bad with it. So... Look at 28 to one, I don't really mind playing Rory in that direction with it, but I, I'm kind of out at 20 and 23% ownership on those. But some guys I do like in this range, I love Tony Finau again at $9,800. I'm going to be going back down that well with him. And it's kind of ironic because the one thing I keep hearing everybody mention is Tony Finau just won a tournament, so he can't win again. Well, we went five years saying Tony Finau couldn't win a tournament. So if that's the deterrent we're going to come up with, with this week, I think Finau's in a perfect spot off the tee around the green. We mentioned that on the show last week for a reason of why he was a good play. I think the $9,800 price tag in reality actually bumps down his ownership percentage. I think that's a good thing to have happened for him. I think if you had him at, you know, $8,900, more people are going to play him. And I'd rather be able to carry some leverage and ownership here. And if he doesn't win this week, I think he can compete at the tour championship. So he's somebody I'm going to keep on my radar. Um, I kind of like Cameron Smith a little bit at 9,500, and I'm not typically a guy that that backs him, but there's a lot to like from a statistical perspective. He ranks second in putting, fourth in my weighted par three category. He's number one in overall birdie or better and first in bunker play. Um, as you mentioned, Patrick Cantlay at 9,200. Barron's never really got going for him at the Northern Trust, but he averaged 3.62 on approach over his last five if we remove his performance at Liberty National. Cantley has gained off the tee in 22 of his last 25. Bent is his best surface, and he has gained around the green of 17 of 19. Uh, my favorite outright bet this week is Victor Hovland at 9,100. I like him and everything also. And it's funny that you said, I mean, he let the emotions get the best of him because he really did. But Hovland's usually a luck, happy-go-lucky guy with it. So I don't know what happened. I mean, he destroyed his putter. He made a mess of Sunday, but because he did that, we now have a $9,100 price tag and he's 35 to one in the betting market. I think if he doesn't do that, we might have a 25 to one golfer and a guy that's in the high 9,000s. Like if we look at Cameron Smith at 9,500. Imagine if those two guys flip flop their performances. Like I'd kind of imagine that Hovland would be in the really high 9,000s. Like he'd be higher than 9,500. He'd probably be higher than Louis at 9,600. So I think it's a good buyback spot for him. And then I like Berger at 9,000. He's one of only three players that graded inside the top 20 for me of all stats I measured. The other two were Morikawa and Rom. He lost 5.7 shots with his putter last week, but he gained 5.8 with his irons. I think that that's just kind of more of an aberrational result than anything else. I think that the putter is fine. I think he'll be okay with that. I think that the irons, if they remain good, this should be a good course for him and, um, I mean, I guess to me, Berger, Hovland, Cantley, Finau would be my favorite. I'm going to fit Cameron Smith into it. And then if I can just backtrack for one second, because there was something I wanted to say about Xander that I forgot. So one of the things I remembered about Xander, and I tweeted this out about a year and a half ago when I was uh, researching him. He's one of the best GIR players in the world. But the thing is, is when you get really long greens with him, like really lengthy greens, whether they're, you know, wide or a lot of depth to them or whatever the problem is, he seems to play it safe and goes to the middle of the green on it. So a lot of times in those events, he doesn't do as well. With these being shorter greens and smaller greens, I think that it actually benefits him in the GIR percentage, and I've seen that across the board. So that's one of the reasons, if I'm backtracking, why I do like Xander. I think the GIR percentage uh, mixed with these being smaller will actually help him, and he'll be naturally have to be a little bit more aggressive to get himself in a position. But to me, that's where I'm at. But let's move into the $8,000 range. And I guess I will start off this range. So there's five guys for me that showed as a positive value. Scotty Scheffler at 8,900 was a very small positive value. If we're going down the Finau route, it's another guy that should be picking up a win at some point. I wish he was a little bit lower than 8,900. I wish he was a little higher in outright price than 33 to one. Not going to bet him in the outright market because of that, but I do think he's playable at 8,900. And then to me, I'm just going to go down the board with it and kind of go to the bottom here. Really like Sam Burns at 8,300, his game continues to be hot with three top 21s in a row. He's 14th T to green over his last 24 rounds, uh, top 10 in weighted par four scoring, par five birdie or better and overall birdie or better. And he's six and three putt percentage. Paul Casey at 8,200. I think Casey's one of the best buyback spots this week after coming 64th at the Northern Trust. He gained shots off the tee and approach over four days there, but imploded with his short game by losing 10.1 around the green and putting. This is more of the salary point where I want to be with Casey. This is more of um, the range where I think he pays off nicer. 80, I think it was 89 or 8,800 last week. A little bit higher than I normally like to be with him. I like him in this low 8,000, the high $7,000 range. So I think Casey is a really good spot to bounce back here. I'm going to play a little bit of Joaquin Neiman at 8,100. I think Neiman's been trending a little bit in the wrong direction, but distance he has off the tee and the scoring ability from all three par ranges makes him a nice flyer at under ten percent. And one of my favorite plays, which we just keep doing this every single week, Sung JM eight thousand dollars. I see no reason to jump off of Sung J after he dominated off the tee and approach again at Liberty National. He's been 2.8 shots off the tee over his last three on average, 2.9 with his irons. I think if he gets any semblance of a short game, he has a chance to compete and potentially win the tournament this week. Um, I think at $8,000, there's a ton of upside to be had there. I don't have an outright ticket on him. I am going to play him as a top 20, though, if you look at some of those legal sports books there. I believe there's a plus 160 on a top 20 on him there. So uh, that's where I'm at. But Josephine, what do you like in this range?
1: No, yeah, I you basically hit the same people I was going to talk about, but I'm gonna start with Sanjay since we're just already here. I mean, I've been playing him in all my lineups. I love where his game is trending. We keep talking about him. He's putting up solid scores. Um, I mean, if anything, maybe he's not as long as any of the other players in this field, barely. But that's really the only thing that might be like off about him for this week. I love him. I'm gonna end up playing him. Um, and then Paul Casey. Um, on top of everything that you said, he also plays part 3 as well. So I really liked him here as well at 8,200. Sam Burns, I, in my one note, I just said he makes birdies. <laughs> so I just, you know, that right there was enough for me. But like he's at 8,300. I really like him. Um, I was looking at Scotty Sheffler as well. I don't know too much about him. But I mean, I was looking at his stats and everything. I was a little concerned that he wasn't such a long hitter and his like average appro- approach proximities weren't super close uh, for those longer distances. And so that might be hindering his chances at making birdies. But of course, we talked about how this course, the greens are smaller, so that could be mitigated. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm always looking at Hideki. We know he's solved with his irons, but I'm wondering if maybe like his driving distance or probably put him at a disadvantage on this course and I can't remember how he played last week but I don't think he played well did he uh
0: he came in 43rd yeah
1: so I don't know I he has a spot in my heart as I've said in like all the other episodes but I I don't know if I would I don't know he's at 8800 and he's not playing the most solid golf right now so not sure how I feel about him but Definitely on the Sam Burns, Paul Casey, Sung train.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing with Hideki is I'd rather him just be a little bit cheaper also. Yeah. Um, I think that that would make him more playable, but in the same breath with that, he's almost 16% projected owned right now. So how much cheaper can you make him? I mean, that ownership to me is going to have me off of him. I, I'm not going to play Hideki this week uh, because of ownership, because of my overall rank. I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of pointing in the wrong direction for him. Uh, for Scheffler he's such a great total driver that I think that for a course like this, that that's going to matter. And if we look at Sungjae, like sure, you can make the argument that his distance, he's 49th in my two-year model in this field. He's fourth in driving accuracy though. So if you weigh it a little bit more towards the driving accuracy, maybe a little bit less towards distance. And that's not even saying that you make it like geared towards accuracy. If you made it like 50, 50 or something, which I think is a reasonable thing to do. Obviously, Sungjae is going to jump up on on any model if you do that. So I think Sungjae makes a lot of sense here. I think Sungjae is one of probably the better plays if you're looking in this low range of somebody who actually has upside to win. And the thing you said about Burns that I think is the most important is anytime you have a no-cut tournament, birdies, birdies, birdies. Mostly for DraftKings scoring, birdies mean so much to having four days. So I think Burns makes a ton of birdies. I think he makes a, a, a whole lot of sense at his price tag with where he's at. So yeah, there's five guys to me. The five guys I mentioned, uh, Scheffler at some point's going to get a win, I would think. But you know whether it comes here is another thing. But I really like this low eight thousand dollar range. But let's move it down now into the seven thousand dollar range, and uh, let's start with Shane Lowry at seventy nine hundred and. Let's play it down to 7,500. So we have a little bit more of a condensed region here. And I will give a couple and start this range off. So I think Lowry makes some sense at 7,900. I think the game is just trending in such a good direction for him right now. 11th at the Northern Trust, 23rd at the WGC, 12th at the Open. My only concern is his off the tee stuff. But with that being said, uh, 43rd over two-year sample size, 53rd over the last 24 rounds. So he's doing it off the tee in almost the same fashion that you can always expect with him. I think that that makes it fine. I think, um, you know, he's one of my better cash plays that I have just because of those results. Kokrek's kind of the, the wild card here. Form has just been awful recently. Two missed cuts back to back. 34th at the WGC, 26th at the Open. He does have the 12th at the Rocket Mortgage. I think at a no-cut tournament, I am kind of willing to give him a chance um, if the ownership goes down low enough. But right now we're looking at 11%. So, Uh, It's not the lowest. It's not the highest with it. It's just kind of right where it needs to be to make it kind of make sense with it. But uh, being led by the putter, that's something that you never want to see with a game. Uh, I really like Keegan Bradley at $7,700. I think he's one of the best ball strikers in the world. Uh, Sure, I always worry about the putter a little bit, but I think Keegan makes sense. Sergio at $7,600 is another guy that I like. I think the ball striking makes sense with him. I think if he gets any sort of a a putter going for him, he can compete in this tournament and... I mean, I guess that's about it for me. I'm okay playing Cameron Tringali. The off the tee stuff worries me a little bit with him, but he's been so spectacular recently, just over and over again. 21st last week, 16th at the 3M, 26th at the Open, a 14th at the Rocket Mortgage. So the results keep turning in for him week after week with it. But, uh, I mean, Henley, maybe you can make an argument for. I could worry a little bit that the distance isn't there. But uh, what do you like?
1: Yeah, so I... Again, highlighted about the same people. Um, I really like Sergio here. I know that he didn't play well last week, but I feel like this course just sets up well for his game. He's decently long off the tee. He hits in regulation. He birdies on par fives. Um, and so, I mean, like you said, his putting is what's been getting him. But I think the course itself just set up well for his game. He, Bradley, actually, I'm glad that you brought him up and talked about him because my model does like him. He is in the top 20 um, based on how I did my model. And then I was looking at it, played well at the Northern Trust. And so when I got down into the 7,000, 6,000 range, just with the fact that I'm not great at um, doing percentages for stats and stuff, I started to look more at just recent form and how they've been playing and everything. And so looking at how he played at the Northern Trust, I was like, okay, that makes sense. His game is training in a good direction. um So I mean, I have him highlighted here at 7,700. I was like, well, Seems like he's doing good. Um, For Russell Henley, I wrote that for some concerns. He just missed the cut last week, and he doesn't seem to take advantage of par fives as well as I would want him to. Um, But I believe last week his putting is what really got him into trouble. And so overall, he's still hitting the ball well. And so I think if he can figure out the putting, like maybe on these smaller greens, that might be mitigated. So I w- that was someone I was thinking about. Um, for Jason Kokrak, I said he's long off the tee, takes advantage of par fives. I'm just not a big fan of his like par four scoring overall. Um, But other than that, I didn't have anything bad to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kokrak is trending in the wrong direction. That's the problem. He's 25th for me overall, 18th from an upside perspective. So that's more of a GPP play. Henley's a very slight negative value for me. and, And I agree about the par five scoring. He's 64th overall. That's the big deterrent there. You have four of them at this course. Um, I'm not going to necessarily get them. Like, I would rather drop down the Keegan. I would rather drop down the Sergio if I'm going to get in that range. Cause Keegan for me, 21st overall, 12th for upside. Sergio, 20th overall, 16th for upside. Those are two of the bigger differentials I have in this $7,000 range in general. Cameron Tringali has some value with him. As I said, uh, off the T distance matters a little bit, and I think that worries me some with him. But uh, that's it for me in that range. But let's drop down to seven thousand four hundred down to the seven thousand dollars, and uh, I'll kick it to you here. Uh, what do you like?
1: Yeah. So as I said earlier, I I started to look in this range more at just how they've been finishing, and so I kind of highlighted um, people that finish well at the Northern Trust, and then I kind of went over and looked more at their proximities, their iron play, green regulation, and kind of tried to figure out who seemed to like look okay based on just my knowledge of playing golf. Like when it comes to proximities, for our team we always it's actually funny, you might like this. So we used an app, I can't remember what it's called, but we had to track all of our stats. And so um eight feet and in, in, we actually called them blackjacks. And so those are like the best you wanted from wherever you're hitting into the green, we wanted blackjacks and then 21 feet and in we call them in position so those um 21 feet and in like you've got a good chance at making a putt giving yourself a good look at birdie and so I was kind of using those two um distances to look at their proximities and so based on that just down in this range um you've got obviously you've got Harold Bonner third, just because he played well last week he has decent driving distance and looking at those proximities they looked okay um and then I then had um, Vegas on here. I had highlighted him um, based on driving distance. His accuracy isn't the best, but as we said, like when you're longer off the tee, sometimes accuracy suffers a little bit. Um, and then at 7,000, actually, I um, I actually really like Charlie Hoffman. So I said he's definitely long enough to contend here. Um, his game isn't as accurate. I was as I would like it to be, but he's definitely trending in a really good direction and he's only 7,000. I mean, obviously ownership percentage at almost 15% might be a little bit of a deterrent. Um, but that's kind of who I had in this range. I struggled really to find anyone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there are some names here. I don't think that you have like a, a slew of people necessarily. Um, Let's start with Harold Varner. So the other show that I do is the better golf pod. And I do that with stick picks. Uh, Nick is a brilliant mind. Give him a follow on Twitter and he's more than just golf. I mean, he has a a football model. He has a baseball model. He's in football season right now with everything he's producing. So a lot of free content that's out there. He does great work for Win daily. Um, one of my good friends in this industry and you know somebody that i always enjoy doing the show with every single week but he came up with an interesting thing about varner that at these courses where you have to hit driver off the tee for whatever reason he's just a little bit worse than you would expect him to be with the distance that he has so Um, you know, he's 30th in driving distance, 38th in driving accuracy, 28 for me in total driving. I think the numbers kind of make sense across the board, but that always resonates in my mind. When we talk about Varner is when we get these 7,400 and 7,500 yard courses that he seems to go in the wrong direction. So that would be my only problem with him there. Uh, because I mean, Nick has been right almost every single time with him on that. (laughs) If we drop a little bit lower to Kevin Stroman and kind of just doubling down on, on stick picks here. Uh, this Kevin Stroman's one of his favorite plays of the week. I just got done fi- finishing the podcast with him. And, uh, Stroman makes a lot of sense. Like if we look at his metrics, not the longest guy off the tee, but there's a lot to like. So 28th in my way to tee to green, uh, 21st over his last 24 rounds. He is 35th in my two-year model off the tee. He's 18th in approach 26 over the last 24 rounds there. He's 10th in around the green over his last 24 rounds. And, um, inside the top 50 and weighted par three, par four, the par fives leave a little bit, something to be desired, but at $7,200, at least there's like a skill set there that we can start seeing form. So I don't have a problem with Stroman at that price tag. Uh, you mentioned Vegas. I think he's just one of the better ball strikers. I think he's great off the tee. I'm willing to ignore his performance last week of missing the cut at the Northern trust. I, I think that that's uh, more of an outlier than anything. And then for me. I also like Charlie Hoffman and I have a little bit of Maverick McNeely also at 7,000. I just think McNeely's form looks really good. 27th, 18th, 16th, 18th, 21st, 30th. I mean, that's just dating back from last week to the Travelers. So that's, I uh, uh, believe, an eight-week span there that he has a bunch of top 30 finishes. So uh, that's something worth looking at. I mean, in a no-cut, we need to make birdies, but you know, if you give me a top 30 finish at $7,000, I don't have a problem there. And Hoffman, 10th in strokes gained approach. That is over a two-year sample size and over um the last 24 rounds. Seventh in weighted par three, ninth in just par three average in general. Nothing wrong with the par four numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, like the par five maybe leaves a little something to be desired, but I think at this range, you're kind of just trying to find a skill set that can be extrapolated out, and you hope that like things turn around in other parts of the game. Um, for that reason, Cameron champ potentially at $7,300, we know other than Bryson, he's like the second longest player on tour. So maybe a guy like champ can get hot there. That game of his has been turning around also lately, uh, 27th at the Northern trust 31st at the WGC, the win at the 3M open the 11th at the John Deere. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at down in this range. I'm going to try to find skill sets like champ has the distance drillman. Has been pretty good across the board with everything. Hoffman has some uh, strengths of his game that I can find. But uh let's wrap this up in the $6,000 range. And I definitely don't have as many plays as uh, I do on a normal week with this. But I do think there are shots to take. But uh, let's start with you. Um, What do you like down in this section?
1: Yeah, so coming down to the $6,000 range, I always struggle. I feel like a lot of the time you're able to be like, well, I've got some people... Um, this time around, I did kind of highlight going off of how they finished kind of at the Northern Trust and then backtracking through their stats just to see if anything popped out. Um, so just I had highlighted Sebastian Munoz just with good finishes at the Northern Trust and the Wyndham, so game training in a good direction. Um, I have Carlos Ortiz, so he didn't play the best at the Northern Trust, but I kind of went back and looked at his stats. He's long off the tee. He doesn't seem to hit a ton of greens, but he does take advantage of Parfrock par fives which is beneficial here. I also highlighted um actually this is someone I wanted to ask you about um which is Harry Higgs just because he played well at the Northern Trust and the Wyndham but my model didn't like him too well so that was someone I kind of want to throw your way but before I let you get there there are two other people that in this range um I kind of liked or actually my model seems to always like and that person is Taylor Gooch. So, he's consistently been kind of in this lower price range and my model has always picked up on him and I feel like you talked about him last week a little bit. Um so I had him there and then um Hudson Swafford is the last one that I have on here and I just said he's long enough off the tee, but I was very concerned about just his par 3 averages and just his short game in general around the green considering that if you're um, approach numbers aren't good here. They're such narrow greens. You're going to have to have good short game. Um, but those are some of the names I had down here.
0: Um, what have you got? <laughs> well, let's start with what you have here. So Swafford's an interesting one. I mean, that's bare minimum $6,000. And if we just look at what he's done recently, uh, this is would be comparing my model versus his last 24 rounds. Uh, Over the last 24 rounds, he's nine spots better strokes gain total. He's nine spots better tee to green. He's 30th spots better off the tee. He's five spots better approach. uh, And he is six spots better around the green, 12 spots better putting. So across the board, it's a guy who's trending in the right direction. So I think at the bare minimum price tag of $6,000, I think it makes a lot of sense. He's going to be about 8% owned. I I think that that's kind of just him trending in the right direction and people noticing that with him. I don't have a problem with that. Harry Higgs technically was a positive value for me. I mean, the thing with Higgs is he's very hit and miss, but I guess it's kind of what you're looking for. Like, give me a guy that at least has the ability to give you a performance. Like, you know, he has two top 16s in a row if we're looking at that. Um, there are some red flags, and that's obviously why he's in this range. And, um, but 33rd in overall birdie or better percentage, like, if we're comparing that to the guys in his range, that is the best number. Uh, well, Patton Kazier is better at 6,200. He's 16th in that number. Uh, Aaron Wise is 28th. Max Homa's 40th. Ryan Palmer's 23rd. But like other than those guys, that's pretty much the best overall birdie or better percentage number you're going to find. So at least Higgs has some upside there. And I want to touch back to what you said with Ortiz. So I seem to like Ortiz every single week. Also good par five score, um, I've always thought he's a very good around the green player. And that's something that's been trending in the wrong direction for him recently. But I just think his ability to score on long par fours, his ability to score on par fives, uh, his three putt percentage is really good. I think he's playable. I I think Max Homa's playable at $6,400. We saw him win at a course that I used as a comp here when he won at the Genesis. So I think that, you know, his ability to be good off the tee his ability to be good in some of these metrics that I'm looking at makes sense. Um, when we were just when I was just talking about birdie or better percentage, Ryan Palmer, Patton Kazire, I think those are two guys that can give you upside down in this range. We've seen Palmer have some finishes, not so much recently, but earlier in the year where there's certain courses where he comes to play at. I think at $6,400, he's a good total driver of the ball. Um, good par five score. I always worry a little bit about what he brings to the table out of these bunkers. We've seen some big numbers from him in the past. Patton Kazire is another guy at 6,200. At least he has the birdie making skills. He can get hot. I think he has potential to be first round leader down in this range if you're getting real fancy with bets that you're trying to make here. Uh, That's over 100 to one that you can find him at. So I think that, you know, his potential skill set makes him somebody worth looking at. And then maybe just Aaron Wise. Like the thing with Wise that I have a problem with If we look at the ball striking, he's third. That's by being fourth in GIR percentage. Uh, His short irons are better than his long irons. So that's part of the problem there if we're looking at it. But really, the thing that brings him down is just the putter. And I said this last week, and maybe if the putter remains good, he's changed the putter. He's now using one of those Adam Scott broomsticks out there. So uh, maybe that turns his game around. Maybe that's something that helps him. But at $6,300, he at least has upside. Uh, We know he can make birdies in bunches. And at $6,300, like, In the $6,000 range in general, find me guys like Palmer, Kazire, Wise, um, maybe to a lesser extent a guy like Harry Higgs, but guys that at least can get hot with it. But uh, I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at. Like Swafford's the only one in the $6,000 range that I'm going to consider playing. I think in the $6,200 range, you have guys like Higgs, Gooch, Kazire, Wise um, moving on up. As I said, Holma, Palmer. Uh, Mitchell's in good form. I'm not going to get there at 10% ownership. I I just think that there's too many red flags at 10% that I don't want to get behind that. Miliano Grillo at 6,500. I I don't mind him necessarily. Ortiz, as we both mentioned. Um, And then the last one, I guess I will throw out. And this is about as much of a dart throw as you can get, even though the price tag doesn't necessarily allude to it being such. Mark Leishman at 6,700. There is so much not to like about his stats But there's also so much to like about his stats if you condense it down a little bit. So let me give you the good rather than the bad, because there's a reason why he's down in the $6,000 range and maybe more so than a lot of these guys. He has the potential to be dead last in different course, different type of a setup last year at Olympia Fields for the BMW championship. It played really difficult. Uh, I forget exactly what he scored. He was like 30, 40, 50 over par for that tournament. So when things go wrong, they can go very wrong. But I want to give the positives for why I think he makes some sense. He's second in my weighted proximity from over 175 yards. He is pretty good with some of the stuff really close in too if he has to, you know, try to whether that be safe par if he goes, you know, off the tee into a problem or even on the par 5s if he lays up into that like hundred and in zone with it. Uh ball striking is going to be where part of the problem is, but fourth in my model in bunker play plus 3 putt percentage. Uh he is 12th in GIR fairway uh G.I.R. percentage from fairway bunkers. I think that's something to where if you want to make the argument that he's a little sloppy off the tee, sure, but if he's able to then salvage par from those situations better than most players, I think that that makes some sense, and he's and sand save percentage in general, so Leishman's more of a dart throw. At 3%, I'm kind of willing to make it, but if he comes and finishes dead last place, like, I'm not going to be shocked on that.
1: It's, it's really funny, actually, that just the whole way you just described Weishman, it just reminds me of one of my teammates. Phenomenal player, absolutely amazing. But off the tee, she just hit this banana slice. And it was hilarious because our coach was always like, all right, we got to hit fairway, set us up to hit into the green. And she would just slice the slice the ball like crazy. And then more oftentimes than not, she always had the best green and regulation percentages of the team. And so we we're always just like, well... It's not pretty, but she gets it done. So it's just really funny when you were going through your um, whole spiel of Leishman. I was like, ah, that's that sounds like my teammate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting players that play like that because I mean, like, there's just some things that they're really elite at, and and sometimes it pays off. And sometimes when the game gets sloppy in other directions, that's when we run into problems in Leishman's thirty over par. But I guess before we get out of here, uh, any thoughts on Brandon Grace at six thousand eight hundred? Brandon
1: Grace. Um, No, I I did not really look at him, but just going through the stats really quick, I mean, it doesn't seem like he takes advantage of par fives and makes a lot of birdies, but I can see like short game wise, he's pretty solid and proximities. He's actually decently solid as well over, um, I was in the 175, 200 range. And so uh, my model puts him at like 50th. So he's not all the way at the bottom, but he is in that six thousand dollar range, so I don't expect too much. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't see too much of a reason to play him, but also not nothing that'll like be absolutely horrendous.
0: Well, I, I guess I'll give you the reason for why he makes sense. And, and by the way, he's 60th in my model. So he doesn't grade well for <laughs> me either, but I feel what I, I would be remiss not to mention him just because of the form. This is the best version of him that we've gotten in like his career, probably. So if we just look at what he's done recently, seventh at the U S open, he missed the cut at the open 30th at the WGC second at the Wyndham missed cut at the Northern trust. So yes, there are scattered performances in there but at least we have seen a second at the Wyndham. We've seen a seventh at the U S open. The numbers are all trending in the right direction. He's 33 spots higher in his last 24 rounds strokes gain total, 25 spots higher T to green, 22 spots higher approach, 26 spots higher putting, which is not necessarily a stat I love using. um, (laughs) When we're looking at putting kind of helping players out with it, but um, look, I mean, I know he's going to be more popular than a lot of players in this range. I just figured it was interesting mentioning him. And then, the last person that I want absolutely no part of, and ironically, he is dead last in my model, um, which will be unfortunate for some people that love him. But that's Phil Mickelson at sixty three hundred. Do you have any thoughts on him? <laughs> my model put him at sixty eighth, so
1: almost same. No, I, I mean, I didn't like him. I just feel like he. I mean just throughout his career, he's always known as kind of like the short game God and like just those crazy shots around the greens. But I think just with where his game is and his, his just swing and everything, it's not where you want it to be for um, a course like this. So I, I don't want anything to do with him as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at. I see he's at about two and a half percent ownership. Like I, I can't get there. And, And as you said, this is a course that I think you're going to have to hit fairways and he's wild. He's missing them at an extreme percentage when he goes off. Like he's 67th in GIR percentage for me. He's 68 of 69 players in driving accuracy. And, uh, you know, he doesn't hit bombs in the way that I think he believes he's hitting these hellacious seeds out there. Uh, so it's just, it's just one of those things where, yeah, I mean the distance, if he turns it around, if he goes PGA championship level with it, who knows, but uh, there's, I think there's big numbers out there for him and, uh, just wanted to throw him out there. Cause it's a big name. He's a guy that nobody's really touching on this week. And, uh, he's dead last for me. I just thought that was an interesting thing to throw out there, but, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, that's it for me on this end. I mean, Josephine, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So as always, you can find me at JChain1020 on Twitter,
1: on Instagram, and then you can find Spencer and I together, um, at be the better pod. Um, trying to do a little bit better about voting on Instagram. I know that kind of fell to me and I've kind of let that die a little bit. So I will do better this week, but give us a follow there. uh, That'd be greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would really help if you could follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at be the number pod. We're trying to grow our exposure on both of those platforms. Uh, We just opened the Instagram a couple weeks ago and uh, the Twitter has been doing well. We're getting good support with it. So, you know, thank you everybody for tuning in. The episodes are getting a lot of views and we've gotten really good feedback from everybody. So if you have any questions, be sure to hit Josephine up at Jane Chang 1020. You can hit me up at T off sports. Uh, That's also on Instagram now too. I created an Instagram account with T off sports so you can contact me there. Uh, As I said, you can find us at be the number pod, Uh, but good luck this week to everybody. We'll try to keep the momentum going and we'll continue to try to hit winners. So thank you for tuning in. Good luck this week and let's make some money.